Today our world desperately needs a message of hope. 2020 has been a tough year. Many people have come face to face with the uncertainty and the fragility of life. And as a result, many people are tired and burdened and worn out. And what people need most of all is Jesus. As we were thinking about last week, we need to let the message of Jesus ring out from us to let people know that there is hope, even in the dark times. But this isn't easy. And I think many of us feel like we're not very good at it. Maybe we feel that we're not strong enough. Or that we're just not the kind of people who are good at sharing this message of hope in the darkness. But Paul, in our next section of the book of Thessalonians, wants us to see why we can dare to share the gospel of hope. So we're going to get our Bibles out and read 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to read from from chapter 2, verse 1, down to... Uh, the first half of verse 6. So it's First Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel, his gospel, in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. This section marks the start of uh, Paul's defense of his ministry. He said here, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Clearly, as often happened, Paul was under attack. People had been criticizing him. And he felt obliged to defend himself, not for his own sake, but so that this church would not turn away from the truth that he had shared with them. In this case, some people thought that his mission in Thessalonica had been a failure. Now, we don't know why exactly that was the case. Why did he think that this was a failure, that his mission was in vain, that it was empty, that it was a waste of time? Paul doesn't tell us, but I don't think it's difficult to imagine what might have been the reasons behind this. Maybe it was because so many people had opposed him. 
Paul went to Thessalonica and preached for three weeks in the, on three Sabbath days in the synagogue there. But as a result of this, the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. So some people maybe were thinking, surely there must be something wrong with Paul's ministry, Paul's preaching, for it to stir up so much anger and animosity. Or maybe it was because Paul's ministry caused problems for those who did welcome him. When this mob couldn't find Paul, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials. So far from bringing people a great life, it looked like Paul's ministry had just put them in danger. Surely that wasn't right. Or maybe it was because after Jason and the others were released, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. This humiliating night flight didn't look very good. Maybe people were saying, well, he's caused all these problems for you, and then he just ran away. And he hasn't been back since. How can he claim to love you? He's just a coward who's looking after himself. wonder if anybody has ever accused you of being a rubbish Christian. Or said that your efforts to live for Jesus have all been in vain. Or maybe you feel that about yourself. You ever felt like a failure? If we look at our circumstances, if we look at what people think of us, if we look at the problems that we're facing or the hard choices that we've had to make, sometimes we can be tempted to wonder if what we've done really is of any value at all. But Paul here, didn't agree with their assessment of his ministry. He said categorically that his visit to them was not a failure. It was not in vain. So why was that? Why was Paul so confident that his ministry had not been empty and worthless and a waste of time? Well, part of the reason is because Paul knew that following Jesus involved suffering for him. The Lord showed Paul this right at the start of his walk with Jesus. The Lord told Ananias in Damascus, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that was fulfilled. Paul suffered intensely for Jesus. Even just before he arrived in Thessalonica, he wrote, We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. 
So the town, the city that he was in just before he went to Thessalonica, Paul had suffered greatly there. What had happened was, in Philippi, during his time there, he'd been followed around by a slave girl who was demon-possessed. Her owners exploited her for money by getting her to tell people their fortunes. Now, of course, she could not tell people their futures. Only God knows the future. But the spiritual forces of evil within her enabled her to deceive her clients into thinking that she could. So her owners got rich while this poor girl was held in darkness. And this troubled Paul so much that he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that exact moment, the Spirit left. This young girl was miraculously set free from that oppression of evil. But as you can imagine, her owners were furious. Their income stream was completely destroyed. So they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace and falsely accused them. And then against the law, the magistrates ordered that they would be stripped and flogged severely. Then they were thrown in jail with their backs bleeding and their feet in stocks. It was a terrifying, painful, and humiliating experience for them. But it did not mean that their efforts were a failure. It did not mean that what they were doing was a waste of time or effort. That's because suffering for doing good is part of what we're called to. This is what Peter writes in his letter. He says this, listen. If you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Suffering does not mean that our faith and Jesus is in vain. If things turn out badly for you, if people criticize you, or ridicule you, or reject you, that does not mean that living for Jesus is a waste of time. Suffering for Jesus is part of what we're called to. That's because it's following in the footsteps of the one who went to the cross for us. It's also because through suffering, God works for our good. Paul writes, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But it's also one of the ways that we honour 
our Lord. Because we show that He is worth losing everything for. It shows that no matter what we lose, knowing Jesus is worth it. And so Paul and Silas didn't stop their mission after their horrible experience in Philippi. When God rescued them from jail, they kept on going. They travelled to Thessalonica, where the situation wasn't much better. But despite this, he says in verse 2, With the help of our God, we dared to tell you His gospel, in spite of strong opposition. Paul knew that his mission was not just to suffer for Christ, but also to speak for Christ. This was his calling. This was his responsibility. And so this is what he was committed to doing. He spoke openly, freely, courageously in this city. And as we've seen, the lives of those people in Thessalonica was transformed. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, of course, Paul was not responsible for this transformation. He didn't produce this change in their lives. It was God who had brought them to faith in Jesus, and it was God who had transformed their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was God's work. But Paul was responsible for preaching this gospel through which God worked. That was his mission. And no matter what the cost, no matter how hard it got, no matter what people thought about them, he was committed to keeping on going and doing this. His mission was not just to suffer for Christ, but to speak for him. And so his mission in Thessalonica was not in vain because he had been faithful to the calling that God had called him with. He'd been faithful to obey the mission that God had given him. And folks, this is our mission too. Of course, we cannot do this in our own strength. We need the help of our God just as much as Paul did. But if we have put our faith in Christ, then we are called to speak for Christ. No matter how difficult it becomes. To speak openly, to speak clearly, to speak courageously, for Jesus. That's what this church did. That's what this er the early church did as well. They dared to share the message of Jesus. In fact, even when 
persecution broke out against the early church in Jerusalem. And they had to be scattered throughout Samaria and Judea. Acts 8 and 4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They just shared the message of Jesus in their everyday lives, whatever they were doing and wherever they were going. So folks, we're not responsible for saving anyone. We cannot. We can't even save ourselves. But we are responsible for speaking up for Christ. Even when it causes suffering in our lives. But Paul didn't just defend his mission here. He also defended his message. See in verse 3, he said, For the appeal we make does not spring from error. Paul's mission to Thessalonica was not in vain because he didn't go there and tell lies. He didn't teach something that was false. He had told the truth. Now, previously in this letter, Paul had called the gospel our gospel. It's our gospel because it's what he preached everywhere he went. It was his message. But it wasn't something that he'd made up. This wasn't his truth, as people like to talk about in this postmodern world. This was the absolute truth. This was the one and only good news of hope. That's because this was His gospel. This was God's gospel. With the help of our God, we dare to tell you His gospel. His good news. Paul didn't go there to share his ideas or his thoughts, or his own opinions, or his own feelings. Neither was this something that he had learned from others, or from college, or from some good book he read. This is what he stressed in the church in Galatia. He said, the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul's message was the good news that God had given to him. And he was just faithfully passing it on. And so this is why he said about himself here, that he was entrusted with the gospel. He was entrusted with the gospel. He saw himself as the steward of a great treasure. A treasure that God had trusted him with. And so Paul was going to carefully look after it. Making sure that he didn't add to it or take away from it. Because he knew it was a revelation from God. 
And he was going to faithfully share it. Because he, he knew that it was the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And he was also going to entrust it to other believers. Faithful believers who would then pass it on to others. Because he knew that this was the only hope for the world. That's what he said to Timothy. The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach it to others. This is such a crucial thing we need to realize. When we share with others, we need to ensure that our message is the unchanged, unaltered, unadulterated gospel of God. This is the good news, the only good news that will save sinners. This is the only message that will bring people to God. This is the only hope in this dark world. But we also need to be careful how we share this message. We need to be careful with the method that we're using. For many people, the end justifies the means. They say things like, well, if it works... If it achieves our goals, then that's okay. If it makes me feel good, that's okay. If it brings people in, that's okay. If it changes people's lives, that's okay. The end justifies the means. But that's not okay when it comes to sharing the gospel. Paul said here, nor are we trying to trick you. Paul did not twist the message to make it more attractive or palatable to the people in Thessalonica. He didn't exaggerate the blessings that accepting Christ would give into our lives. And he didn't hide the cost of following Jesus. He also said, nor we, you know that we never used flattery. He didn't lie to them to win them over. He didn't butter them up. He didn't uh, tell them how great they were to boost their ego so that they would be on his side. He refused to do that. Because they are the methods of false teachers. Paul warned Timothy that people will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. If you want to gather a crowd, tell them what they want to hear. But Paul refused to use any of these deceptive or underhand methods to achieve his goal. He was committed to speaking the truth in a truthful way. That's why he said that we speak as men approved by God. 
Paul knew that his ministry had come from God. By grace, Jesus had appointed him as his apostle. And so he was committed to speaking in a way that was consistent with being a servant of God. And that meant he had to speak the truth, no matter what the cost. Because our God is the God of truth. In fact, it says that it is impossible for God to lie. So it doesn't matter if other effectives, other methods are more effective. It doesn't matter whether people seem to be more successful than us. If we want our ministry, our lives, not to be in vain, if we want to honour God, if we want to represent Him faithfully in this world, then we need to refuse to use any form of deception or flattery. We need to speak the truth, and only the truth, clearly, openly, and honestly. But lastly, we'll only be willing to do this if our motives are right. In our Cold Case Christianity course that we did a a few months ago, uh, J. Warner Wallace said that there were basically only three motives for any crime that people committed. He was a, a cold case detective. And this is what he said. The three motives for people that would motivate them to do terrible things in this world. Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. But Paul said here that the appeal we make does not spring from impure motives. It didn't didn't spring from those kind of motives. Paul wasn't motivated in his ministry by impure, unclean or selfish motivations. As we'll see in chapter 4 of this letter, Paul preached against all forms of sexual immorality. He lived by a higher standard and he called other people to live by that standard too. And he said here that he did not preach for personal gain. Nor do we put on a mask to cover up our greed. That's not one of these kind of masks, that's a a pretense mask, a hypocritical mask that we're talking about there. He wasn't in it for the money. In fact, we'll see next week that instead of getting rich from his ministry, Paul actually worked to provide for his own needs so that he wasn't a burden on anybody. But neither did Paul work so hard so that people would praise him. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Paul didn't do this for applause or acclaim or fame or influence. Which was just as well because most of the time he suffered from rejection and criticism and humiliation. So Paul's motivation was not money, sex, and power. 
So what was it that drove Paul in his ministry? What made him so confident that his ministry in Thessalonica was not in vain? What was it? Well, verse 4 is the key verse. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. Paul was serving God. Paul was seeking to please God. And so it didn't matter what other people thought of him. It didn't matter how much opposition and criticism that he faced. In a sense, it didn't even matter how much success he saw in his ministry. Because God didn't evaluate things the way that other people do. God doesn't determine success the ways that this world does. Because He tests our hearts, not our circumstances. So all that mattered was whether Paul was being faithful in what God had called him to do. He'd been entrusted with the gospel. And so his responsibility was to hold on to it, to live a life that was consistent with it, and to share it with everyone that he could. And folks, that's our calling too. Our mission is to speak for Christ, even if it involves suffering for Him. Our message must be the glorious gospel of Christ that has been entrusted to us. And our method must be consistent with Christ, full of honesty and integrity. And our motive must be to please Christ and bring glory to Him. And if we do that, that even although we might face circumstances and diff- that are difficult and people that are critical, we can dare to share the message of the Gospel. Because we can be sure that it will never be in vain. This is God's promise. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.